This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is what's happening in your world tonight. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and a few times a year, we ask you for your input on the show, and man, did you answer. By popular demand, today, we'll share with you, Doug, the untold story. Plus, if we have time, we may discuss how to compare investments. Wow, that sounds like a great show. In our headlines, we're talking exchange-traded funds. For the new stackers out there, what are ETFs? Here to help you understand ETF 101, we welcome from BlackRock, Rachel Aguirre. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener with a burning financial question. And don't you worry, I'll share some trivia. And now, two guys we refer to as the Terminator and Rambo of financial planning, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. neighbor welcome back to the stacky benjamin show i'm joe saul see hi average joe money on twitter it is wednesday you are here kick your feet up glab glab a grass glab a glass glab a grass yes i am learning from doug who takes 37 takes to record our open that uh we can get we can fix it in post people we can fix it in post but grab a glass and relax because we're all about the basics of investing today how about that and Doug, the untold story, which we will do at the be, which which we'll do in the middle, which we'll cover in the middle. <laughs> Golly, you guys are having a rough go of it. Holy! <laughs> I remember my first day podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> which we'll cover if we get time. If we stop stuttering in the middle of today's show, Doug, we put the word out there. As you saw, we put the word out there and asked people, "What would you like for our community episode?" And Doug, the untold story, the far and away winner people want to know i'm an enigma wrapped in a riddle tied up with a mystery the biggest question og is is there truly an untold story when it comes to doug i feel like he was stuffing the ballot box <laughs> maybe maybe he was stuffing something 
Yes. Nope. Oh, boy. We got a great show. We got Rachel Aguirre from BlackRock joining us. And you know, it's funny. Rachel and I were just sitting down to chat. And I said to her, you know what, Rachel? And she said, what, Joe? And I said, listen to this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. See, Rachel Aguirre, even listening to the wonderful words of our sponsors. We got her coming up. We're going to talk about basics of ETF investing. We've also got how to compare investments. It's all investing today. Let's get started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. I sat down for a nice extended about 15-minute conversation, guys, with Rachel Aguirre last week. If people want to watch the entire interview, if you really want all the basics on ETFs 101, head to our YouTube page and watch the whole thing. But I will play excerpts here today because I think this is a really important place to start as we go through what exchange traded funds are, how they work in a portfolio, how they're different from mutual funds. I know, OG, a lot of people just starting out, they don't have any idea. Like, how is this stuff all all different from each other. So we we actually started there. I asked her very simply to define what ETFs are. Yeah, absolutely. So an an exchange traded fund is really an amazing technology. It shares a number of characteristics with mutual funds, which I know many many investors are very familiar with. It's a professionally managed portfolio of investments in the form of a fund 
but it has a couple of really important distinctions to mutual funds. The first being liquidity in the sense that it trades just like a stock trades all day long on the stock exchange. So I want to get into for a second, OG, I'm going to pause her right there. This is an important uh, distinction between ETFs and mutual funds, but can you explain to us really why when she immediately goes to the fact that these are liquid all day long and mutual funds are not? Why is that important? Well, I would say that it's really not important about 95% of the time, but the 5% of the time that it is important, it's rather important. And the differences uh, between the mutual fund and ETF and kind of why this liquidity thing is an issue is that mutual funds price at the end of the day. So if you're going to invest money today and you're going to put $10,000 in your mutual fund, you don't really know what what price you're getting until four o'clock today. And the reason for that is because they're a collection of stocks or other investments. And all those stocks, they have to pick a time to value them and they pick four o'clock. And so then they add it all up and divide it by the shares and go, okay, now the share price is $29.52 today. And that's what you got it at. Most of the time it doesn't matter because, you know, $29.52 or $29.53, the share price, whatever. But if you are making some uh, multiple transactions in a day, let's say rebalancing, and for example, there's some high volatility that day that could really have a big impact. The other day, the stock market was up 3%. NASDAQ was up 3.5%. If you sold at 10 in the morning and didn't buy back until four o'clock in the afternoon, you may have missed out on that 3.5% gain for the day, depending on when, you know, when that gain happened. Alternatively, if you sell at high and you're trying to rebalance and the market goes down, now you're overbuying the position because you you don't have as much stuff as you thought you did because you priced it based on yesterday's numbers. So liquidity matters in in faster moving markets or if you're doing, you know, a buy and a sell from the same, you know, in the same day in the same investment type. Mutual funds by the way, OG, not doing that. I just want to make this point for people is not mutual funds being, you know, nefarious or wanting to keep you in for the full day. I think it's much more just the time that they were created, the innovations, the tracking, the ability to put this product together did not exist when a mutual fund was first created, which means really with exchange traded funds, you're kind of getting mutual fund for the modern age in a lot of ways. Okay. I can go with that. Maybe. 2.0. Yeah. I also asked her for, she, she mentioned there were a few things that were important. The second piece was transparency. Uh, I don't think the transparency is, you know, do I care to see all 500 stocks inside the S&P 500? Maybe I do, but I don't think so. But the third point she had was around tax efficiency. And I think this could be a big one. Let's listen in again to Rachel. Really has to do with timing of when securities were bought and sold in that underlying fund. So it's very possible, and this is something that investors really should take a look at now. It's very possible that some of the mutual fund holdings may expect to see a capital gain distribution at the end of the year. And so that's something certainly to be aware of and something that, you know, from an ETF perspective, we believe is, you know, a real benefit in terms of just the general tax efficiency of that structure. Yeah. So to be clear, if I've held Microsoft since 2000, or if the mutual fund rather has held Microsoft since 2010, 12, 15, had this big run up, even though it's down this year. It could still see a gain. Explain that, OG. In an ETF, I don't see the gain. 
but in a mutual fund I do, and they're both they're both diversified investments. Well, it's not that you're not going to see a gain in an ETF. I mean, it's certainly still possible, but ETFs have a tax structure that allow them to swap out positions to make them more tax efficient. Whereas in a mutual fund, it's just straight up like if you were and I were to buy and sell it. So internally, using your example of Microsoft, it's like if the mutual fund bought Microsoft in 2008 and uh, in 2000. 21, it was up 100%. And now it's only up 70% because it's down, right? It's gone down this year. And they say, well, it's time to rebalance where we want to sell it. They're going to look at that original purchase date, just like if you were to have done that, right? If you bought Microsoft stock in 2008 and it went up 70% since then, there's no reconciliation for, but today it's down. (laughs) It's just like the sum total of the time that you owned it. And then that's passed on to shareholders. So it's like, it's just like you did it, only it's them doing it, and and then they divide it out by however many shareholders there are. And quite often, all of this tax cleanup happens when things aren't going very well, because it's actually less expensive for you. It's still expensive, but it's less expensive. Where in a, uh, an ETF, they can do that internally and do uh, stock exchanges, which then don't have the same tax impact as, a, um, as just an outright sale does. But also to be clear here, an ETF will only show the time that you owned Microsoft. So if you only own Microsoft during the down part, you'll only be responsible for those. However, the way a mutual fund structured OG, even if you just bought that ETF, you're you're going to be when when the mutual fund decides to sell the way that this thing's constructed, there's just no way for them to distribute yeah. this really fairly. So they just take the people that are shareholders of record on X day and you might've lost money on your fund. You might've lost money on Microsoft, but because the fund decided to sell on this day, the way that it's constructed, they've got to give you a capital gain, even though you lost money. Yeah. I think we're talking about kind of two components here, but this is a second component of it, which is that you have to be very cognizant of, of when you, especially as we get toward the end of the year of when you buy uh, your mutual funds. Because if you're doing some rebalancing and you're swapping out positions and it's getting close to Thanksgiving or it's getting close to Christmas, that's the time when these companies are about to start issuing their dividends and capital gains. And you're right. That's what happens. They just look that day. They say, well, it's our, our date is December 7th. You know, they don't, there's no real rhyme or reason to it. That's just the day they pick. And then they just go through the list and go, okay, here's all the people that own it. And here's how much you get. And so you could have owned it for three days and get a $2,000 capital gain distribution, you know, that now you owe $800 in taxes on. And you're like, wait a second, I just, I've owned this thing for three minutes. I just bought it. How did I get $3,000 taxes or whatever the number is? So, uh, and we've seen that happen. And if they're going to do some tax cleanup, if mutual funds are doing tax cleanup time, it's when things aren't going well, just like right now. Can you guys bottom line this thing for me? Because I mean, I thought I knew about this stuff, but we just got into a lot of details. And so help me understand the benefit for me as the average consumer of an ETF versus a mutual fund. Well, that's interesting that you say that because Rachel next went into just bottom line, the benefits of an ETF. Whether we're talking about a first time investor, really for all investors, I think there's two keys that hands down, are the most important to remember. And the first is diversification and the importance of that. And I know this is a message that's been out there for you know a really long time, but it's still 
it's just incredible to see the amount of assets that are held in individual stocks today. Um, you know, I recently came across a Cerulli study. There was estimated 4.2 trillion of end investor Holy assets cow. last year. Yes, exactly. That continue to be held in single stock positions and all of the risks that come with that. And you might be interested to hear this. If you look over the past five years, U.S. stock indexes were up over 80 percent. But while the market's gone up, not all stocks have been a good investment. 36 percent of U.S. stocks fell. That means if you were picking single names, you had more than a one out of three chance of selecting a loser. And of those stocks, the average drop was 52%. So 52% was the average drop. So, oh, gee, better not to play that game. I think to, to Doug's point, to put the pin in it, this is the key benefit of an ETF. Absolutely. I mean, how are you going to predict that in advance? It's just, it's just very, very, very difficult. And even if you, it's impossible to predict in advance. And even if you're right, the sustainability of your rightness doesn't exist either. There's no, there's no evidence of the persistence of that. So um, just because you got it right in the last period of time doesn't mean that you'll be right in the next period of time. Why take the risk? So to put this in perspective, OG, not only do we have diversification, we don't have to play the game when all of these different stocks are dropping, we're buying the broad market. Number two, we also get this tax efficiency that we don't get with mutual funds just because of the way that it's structured. We have a more tax efficient position. And then uh, number three, we can base the ETF on our goals. I asked her one final question, and it was from a headline that you and I talked about recently, which was this, this idea of single issue ETFs. Remember that we brought that up? where an exchange-traded fund will have just one stock and it's either um, leveraging that stock in a positive way or a negative way, meaning that we're really betting hard that a Microsoft will go up or down. So we're not doing any things Rachel's talked about. We're doing exactly the opposite. We're doing the exact opposite. Don't be diversified. And not only that, but be levered on the, diver- on the under-diversification. I like it. She addressed that for us as well. It is important that you understand what's under the hood of a given ETF. Not all ETFs are the same. And we've actually advocated and championed over time for the need for greater classification of ETFs so people understand what it is that they're buying. But, you know, the power of transparency of ETFs is that you can take control and you ha- you are empowered to see what is under the hood, what is actually held. And you know, I'd go back to, you know, the point around diversification. One of the great benefits of ETFs, particularly when we're looking at those broad markets, is you're getting access to a diverse portfolio. But to your point, not all ETFs are alike. And so it is important to do that due diligence, you know, ahead of making a purchase. How often have we heard people, OG, that just hear the hot button, oh, this is an ETF, and they go buy, they just go buy one. I mean, we had a story a year ago about oil. Yeah, remember two different ETFs buying oil and uh, one doing this big leverage thing and a bunch of investors got to just uh, their butt kicked because they didn't understand what's under the hood. I love that piece as well. Got to do a little looking. Thanks to Rachel Aguirre for joining us. You can learn more about uh, BlackRock and their full line of all their ETFs at uh, iShares.com, BlackRock iShares. Big fun company, OG, that I've used uh, quite a fair amount. Coming up next, 
we're going to dive into how to pick investments. So now we've talked about exchange traded funds and how they work. But really, if I'm trying to reach a goal, how do I diversify my portfolio? How do I pick one investment over another investment? OG and I are going to lay that out. But first, Doug, you've got, well, a big, big holiday today. It is, it is Doug, the untold story. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And before we get to the trivia, welcome to Doug, the untold story. Okay, I'm checking my notes here. Uh, Looks like we have some documentary footage featuring El Martinez from the Simplify and Enjoy podcast. Wow, cool. Let's, Let's check it out. This is Doug, age seven. Look at this innocent boy, giggling and happy. He's clearly excited about his new pet. See it? Yes, it's a Razorback Piglet. Watch how lovingly he pets the animal's silky soft hair and appreciates its gentle nature. In fact, who knew that such a beautiful member of the animal kingdom would gravitate toward Doug in the first place? Aww, so cute. But that's the untold story. He actually seems to attract feral animals. Here's Doug, behind the Naaman's barbecue dumpster, getting to know a cat. And on the railroad tracks, saying hello to a coyote. Later, a bobcat would... Nope, nope, nope. That is not it. Distraught by the mysterious disappearance of yet another pet, his beloved razorback piglet, but also happy with the sudden abundance of bacon at the breakfast table. Doug descended into a state of overfed restlessness. Slipping into the clutches of the directionalist 70s, he turned to a life on the seedier streets of Texarkana. He began by slowly bartering his collection of original Star Wars figurines for auto parts and hair care products. Why did they tell that story? Look, I'm going to find the actual untold story during the break, but... Let's get you a trivia question, shall we? How about this one? A huge advancement in the 1800s linking the East to the Midwest was the Erie Canal, which opened to ships on this date back in 1825. That created some Benjamin stacks, I bet, but so did some music about that time. In 2006, a well-known artist won a Grammy for his work on a project shining a spotlight on the song Erie Canal, among other hymns telling the Americana story. Which artist was it? I'll be back with the answer right after I go sing about a mule named Sal. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. 
We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? Uh, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, Here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I'm listening to this documentary the team put together for me. Gotta say, I am struggling to find the best part. Let's check back in to see if El Martinez has finally found the gold in this recording. In 2004, Doug won third prize in Texarkana's Best Fart Joke Competition. Winning because his joke was punctuated with actual sound effects. You can already see the genius developing. In fact, that joke was so disgusting that the next year, audiences petitioned for the contest to be shut down. While that third place honor didn't include money, Doug did barter his way into the organizer's El Camino, who traded his vehicle in exchange for an agreement that Doug would never compete again. This was similar to the college incident we shared back in Chapter 4 when... Nobody wants to hear that. You know what? I'll find some of the greatest hits and I'll play that snippet at the end of today's show. But for now, let's get you a trivia answer. The question was on today's date that Erie Canal opened to ships for the first time way back in 1825. In 2006, the album The Seeger Sessions, We Shall Overcome, celebrated American folk songs made even more famous by Pete Seeger in the 1960s. But who was the famous artist who recorded the record and won the Grammy? Performing his only album of songs not written by him with a band of all-stars called The Sessions, it was artist Bruce Springsteen who took home that Grammy. Well, at least one of us, Bruce, is celebrated for our accomplishments. Hopefully, I'll be back later with Doug, the untold story, the good part. See ya! I'm Andy Dwyer, and when I'm not pulling suckers off my tomato plants in my garden, I'm stacking Benjamins. So let's dive in here. I think what we need to do, OG, is start with the very basic. I don't know anything about investing, and I have a bunch of cash. Lucky <laughs> <laughs> Let's ruin it for him now. 
let's, let's get it. Let's get it in the weeds. Remember when life was so great, you knew nothing. You just had cash. Just leave it like that. No. Um, because especially this year with inflation as high as it is, if you've got money in cash, you're actually losing buying power. So you realize you need to get that cash deployed. OG. the very first thing that you think about when you see an investor with a bunch of cash and they say, Oh gee, how can you help me diversify this? First thing that hits your brain to begin comparing investments is what? Comparing investments, comparing all the choices that are out there, right? Cause there's a ton of choices and the, the average person goes, I got all this cash. Uh, there's 5 million choices. How do I decide where to put it? Like which choice to choose? Yeah. I think that the biggest part is figuring out what your, uh, what your goals are, and then making sure that you're thinking about it from the standpoint of what what investments are aligned with that time horizon. If you're 30 and you're thinking about financial independence at 60, that kind of eliminates a whole chunk of of investments. You go, well, these aren't designed for 30 year time horizons, so I can eliminate all those. That's going to help sort of start eliminating the things that aren't useful at this time. This is, I think it's really important because people really get afraid, OG, of this fear missing out, right? That I'm in the wrong investment or, or that there's some hot investment. And I love this idea of starting with your time frame because in the wide world of investing, different investments are created for different, different time frames. I mean, they, they have different growing seasons. And so looking at that time frame first narrows this huge field of FOMO that I have to a much more narrow field of only the investments that fit that time frame, And then I can begin going a mile deep on those versus having to go an inch deep on five bajillion different investments. So now I've got my time frame. I know when my goal is. I haven't even started picking investments yet. I know when my goal is. I know what the time frame is. So now that I have that, and we talked, OG, about going to a smaller group now of investments how do I know which investments are right for that time frame and which ones are wrong? Like, how do I begin then again comparing the investments against each other so that I can get the right investment for that time frame? Generically speaking, I think if you're looking at it from an empirical standpoint, anything with high amounts of volatility, any wild swings in short periods of time, generally are not going to be used for short period of time investing because you could be way right or way wrong. That up and down, that kind of roller coaster ride levels out over long periods of time because you get, you know, the more of a business cycle relative to that particular investment. So you take a look at, for example, cash and cash rates don't change, right? You put your money in the bank today, you take it out tomorrow. There's no volatility. You have zero risk of losing money. In exchange for that, you also have zero opportunity for gaining money. There's no chance of increasing your wealth by having your money sit in cash. You can get a little bit of interest in the bank, but it's not going to be enough. On the other hand, if you use something like, you know, an emerging market, you know, an up and coming country, and you say, I'm going to put all my money in that and I need it tomorrow, there's a very good chance that it's going to go down a whole bunch or up a whole bunch. We don't know which way, but the swings are going to be wilder, which means it's not ideal for short-term things. And if you look at that measurement, we would use standard deviation perhaps, and you look at that 
over short periods of time, you'll see that it, it shortens as the time horizon gets longer. Yeah, the very first thing that I think, OG, you and I both look at is the type of market that we're in, right? Not even We're not even at the investment yet. We're at the type of market that you want to be in. I think a lot of investors start with, is, is Microsoft a good buy right now? We're, we're not even playing that game. And to give you an idea, the stock market, OG, to your point, large company stocks, in one year, it's damn near 50-50, right? Whether you're going to make a bunch of money or lose. I mean, you might as well go to the casino. And I don't think no, that's, you don't yeah. like that analogy. No. <laughs> but if we take so a look at like 70, 30, so don't say 50, 50, it's 70, 30. Okay. Well, it's 70, 30. But if I look at a 10 year time frame, if I look at a 10 year time frame, it is way, way, way closer to 95, five. Right. And I go yeah, to 15 absolutely. years and 20 years, like you were saying, uh, historically I've done very well. So the stock market phenomenal for 20 year time frames horrible for a one-year time frame. And I like what you said about uh, standard deviation. Standard deviation is this risk measure that shows you how those waves work. And I don't know that we want to get really technical about standard deviation, but this is a term I think that investors should know because this is specific to what the time frame is right for your investment. How do you how do you look at standard deviation? Can you explain kind of in layman's terms what standard deviation is? Yeah. And just to kind of wrap up what you're saying, I think that ultimately there's three buckets that your money can go into based on the on the time horizon. You can put it in cash, you can own companies, or you can lend money to companies. If you think about it in terms of who's going to make the most money, the bank or the company, you know, if the bank lends money to build the factory, they've got a guaranteed rate of return, right? We know we're charging you 5% interest. We know we get paid back at the end of our 20-year loan. We're taking that deal. But if you're the owner of the company, what are you hoping? You're hoping that you're going to take their 5% loan and turn it into a bajillion widgets and a multinational operate. Like you're trying to, you know, you're swinging for the fences. And so just kind of like those three buckets, you can own the company, you can lend money to the company, or you can just have your money in your mattress. And there's purposes for each one of them. But that gives you an idea of, you know, back to that time horizon, the bank's making 5% right away. The owner of the company might not make his money for 10 years. He might not make his money for 20 years. And then, of course, cash, you don't make any money. And you can see that very quickly. And you're talking about standard deviation. You can see that very quickly based on the range of returns. And so that's basically what standard deviation is, is it's what's the range that it's going to swing between from whatever the average number is. And so the higher that number, the higher the range that it's going to go between. So for example, if you looked at cash, you'd see cash has a return of, let's say, one with a range of 0.1, which means most of the time it's going to be between 0.9 and 1.1. Would you notice that? Of course you wouldn't. Stocks, on the other hand, have an average of 10 with a range of minus 20. <laughs> you know, So most of the time... If I said, you know, Joe, hey, I've got, there's a two and three chance. I'm pretty sure that we're going to be between somewhere between minus 10 and plus 30 on your money today. You'd be like, oh, wow, you really went out on a limb there. And then if we go two of those, which encompasses about 90% of all of the return possibilities, we'd say between minus 30 and plus 40. So, hey, Joe, 
Thanks for investing your $10,000. I'm almost certain that it will range between minus 30 and plus 40 over the next 12 months. Like that's, I mean, look how wide that range is, right? Yeah, You're talking yeah, about having, yeah. you know, finishing the year with 7,000 or 14,000 versus cash, which you say, I'll put $10,000 in. You've got a pretty good chance that it's going to be 10,000 or 10,100. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. And that's really what you're talking about is how wide is that range of possibilities and the wider the range, the worse it is for the short term. This is a measure I think that helps decrease the freak out factor. If I know I've got 15 years till I need this money and I'm in the Vanguard, you know, total stock market index, I just pulled this up. Uh, standard deviation is just over 20. So if the total stock market averages eight, it means it's very normal for me to have a year where I'm at minus 12. And minus 12 is within the realm of that standard deviation. And it's also no, normal. It's, it, it means, yeah, between two, you know, one standard deviation is basically two thirds of the time, right? So two thirds of the time you will be between minus 12 and plus 28. And I could even you know? go another standard deviation, which is down another 20, a third of the time. So it's well within the realm of possibility that I could be, I could be in the range that I'm in now. So while the media is yeah, freaking minus out. Minus 32 to plus 48 is very normal. And this is why we begin with the time frame. We begin with the time frame because of the fact that we want to know what those waves are. And what's funny is, OG, we haven't even looked at performance yet, right? Of, a, of an individual stock. Everybody's like, ooh, does this perform? Is this a great performer? We're looking at the risk of losing your ass. This is the very first thing we do when we compare your two investments. Does it meet the time frame? Number one. And then number two, if it meets the time frame, what's the risk of you losing your ass in that time frame? So as an example, if I if you tell me you've got three years and I'm comparing a cash type investment, like a CD, to a stock, I'm gonna go, well, the CD, the CD's way better. Well, wait a minute, the stock historically has done like 50. Yeah, but you only got three years till you need the money. Yeah, I, I think that the risk isn't losing your your rear end. The risk is investor behavior. At the end of the day, when you don't line up your investments with the correct time horizon, that's where you get the freak out factor and the opportunity to make bad decisions at wrong times. And this is a great example of what's happened in the last year. That FOMO that you were talking about before, you know, people are dumping money into option trading, people are dumping money into crypto, and now they're down 50, 60, 70%. The people who are okay with that are those who had time horizons matched up with that possible up and down swing. When you took your cash reserve, when you took next month's mortgage payment and said, I'm going to put this into crypto and you go down 50%, what happens? You pull the money out. That's This, this is not the month, nor is it the year for you to take money out of your stock account. And if you are, it's because of the fact that you don't have the time horizon matched up with the right investment, you, meaning your your money is not behaving in the manner in which you expect it to. I think this is a big aha moment when investors realize that they're in charge of what happens to their money. Many times, I think investors think, "Well, I'm just I don't know. I'm just investing. I don't know. What's, I don't know what's going to happen. I just throw money in my 401k. What happens happens." No, bull like crap. a passenger. Yeah, you can have outcomes. You can design the right outcomes. In fact, you can design the game that you want to play. And I think. What we focus on with clients is to say, 
how I feel about stocks is maybe not, you know, we talk about on the show, I talk on the show all the time about how I don't invest in fixed income. I think it's terrible. That doesn't mean that you don't. It doesn't mean that Doug doesn't. That doesn't mean that, you know, somebody at listening doesn't. It means I don't. I have my reasons for it. But if I try to put my game onto your game, you know, my values onto your financial plan, it's going to backfire. So you have to design the game that you want to play so that you can match up your time horizons and your investments so that when the market's down, it's totally expected. It's within the realm of possibilities for you and your experiences. I think for new investors, you know, if they've ever, um, di- is it dived or dove? Is the word dived or dove? I, I never know. Divin. If they've ever divin dived. into professional dived. poker players. Dived. It's dive, dive. Like when you, when you look at professional poker players, I think there's an analogy here, OG, where this is not betting, this is investing. However, professional poker players first, a surprise that I had when I studied professional poker was that they are all about controlling their downside. They're all about controlling your downside. You think that they're in it just to win it and to get these huge pots. Hold on a pots. second. Hold on. Time out, everybody. Did you just say when I studied professional poker? Yes. I, I believe I believe like no, no less than one week ago you said, I suck at poker. I, I went to poker night poker. and lost my butt. I'm horrible at poker. I am rotten <laughs> at poker. You know why? And then he went to the Wikipedia page right after he said that, and now he studied professional poker, and he's ready he to go on studied professional tour. poker. He's ready to go. Oh, three of a kind does beat one pair. How about that? Uh, I thought I was good with with pocket twos. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't work. But when we had Annie Duke on the show and we talked to Bill Perkins. They're always about control your downside first, right? And I think that when you're investing, I think there is an analogy here. I think you do the same thing. Everything we've talked about so far is controlling your downside, which brings up the next piece for me, OG. If I've got two investments then. And I know that one meets the time frame, one doesn't. That's number one. Number two is if I've got two investments and one gets there with a hell of a lot of up and down and the other one gets there with a lot less up and down, I'm going to choose the one with a lot less up and down if they both end up at the same place. And then number three is I think we need to talk about actively managed versus passively managed. I think for me, that's probably the next one. Can I get there with a passive approach versus Am I trying to get there with an active approach? The biggest difference in the way that I think about this is everybody thinks that there's no way to beat the market. And this is kind of the drumbeat that we hear from finance people and Twitter and whatever. And they say, well, you can't beat the market. And I would submit to you that you can, and people do all the time. All you have to do is look at your investment performance on any given day and compare it to the market, whatever you want to compare it to. And you either beat it or you didn't. Rarely, unless you're completely invested in solely in index funds tied to the index that you're looking at, are you exactly the same? And then and even in that case, you didn't beat the market. You lost to it because you had to pay an expense. There are people out there every day who beat the market. The hard part is predicting that person in advance. More importantly, not predicting it in advance, but then also repeating or seeing that success over time. You know, there's this story of the guy from Leg Mason who beat the S&P 14 years in a row. And on the 15th year, he was back on CNBC on December 31st, high-fiving everybody because 15 years in a row, beating the S&P. I mean, how great is that? What a peach of an individual. But then the next year, he didn't. And there wasn't a, hey, he's 15 out of 16. He fell from 
fell from grace. And the reality is, is that when did all of the money go into his fund? It goes into the fund at the beginning of the year after the success already happened. Because you don't publish, the SEC doesn't allow you to publish. I think I'm going to beat the S&P this year. Give me all the money. (laughs) They allow you to publish. I did yesterday beat the S&P. So now give me all the money. And then what happens? It's harder to invest that money and so on and so forth. So there is no evidence statistically of the persistence of that of that performance. So that kind of answers the question of active versus passive. If I know that I'm going to do better than the market, I would encourage you to invest that way because that's great. The problem is, is that we can't predict that person in advance. And the second problem to it is that it's relatively expensive to try. And there are areas where it does make sense to try. Limited you know, knowledge areas, internationally, you know, type investments and things like that, where that would make sense. But you know what, OG, what I would like to impress upon people is the fact that even those people that try, like we've talked to Phil Town, he's got a great track record, as you know, he's got a system that he Mm -hmm. uses of investing, of going after individual stocks. We've talked before about people that have, you know, Warren Buffett has a system of investing that he uses even those people, much like in the E-Myth, they talk about learn how to bake the cake first, right? Learn how all the basics of the cake before you dive in. The master knows exactly where the even the master goes into all the stuff we've talked about first. All these things about start off with your time frame, look at the volatility, look at can I get it passively versus actively, look at all of these things first. And then they start trying. I think the average person that goes out and just starts day trading stocks doesn't have any of this foundation that we're talking about, which is why they get their butt kicked. Yeah. And then that leads to the frustration around performance, which then leads to the bad decision making around selling, you know, at the wrong time. I think that for 99.9997% of the people in the universe, a diversified passive approach is probably the best. I mean, it's just that simple because you can't, you can't dedicate the time. And and if you think of it this way, if everyone on the unit in the universe all has the same information at the same time, there was a time 50 years ago where this wasn't the case, right? Where Pepsi would issue their earnings and there would be somebody who would get that info first, or there would be a group of people or wall street would have it before Joe Blow in Wichita, Kansas got it. You know, that, that that was the case, but not anymore. All known public information is known immediately by all market participants all at the same time. And I think the average daily volume in the stock market now is close to a trillion dollars. It was like 700 billion or something in terms of daily traded volume. That's a lot of people trading a lot of information all at the same time. So if you think that you have some sort of leg up or if somebody is peddling something that says that they have some sort of leg up, they can't unless it's literally illegal. Like they, they just don't have information that you can't have at the same time. It's just not the case. That being said, why do you want to try to play the game? Why are you going to try to figure out which, you know, is Ford going to do better than GM this year? I don't know. I mean, you can take that 50, 50 gamble if you want. There's only two choices there. Or you can just say, I'll just own some of each. Why not? <laughs> like, Then I get both. Because some years Ford will do better and some years GM will do better. And I get both returns of both companies all the time by having both. 
So take the passive approach, own one of everything. The next piece I think for me then is, uh, and, and this is for non IRA investments. I think then I look at tax efficiency, probably next. Would you say that may be next on your list of criteria? Two investments, one more tax efficient than the other? Um, yeah. I mean, based on what we were talking about before from ETFs, like they're all tax efficient. So there's not a material difference there. No, but if I've got two investments that are materially different, one that is more tax efficient than the other, if I'm comparing two or somebody gives me two to look at, that may be that may be the next thing if it's outside an IRA. You know what's funny, OG? We Turnover still, is, is that number, basically. Uh, oh. How many times are they traded? That's where you'd look, right? Yeah. Yeah. People don't know that term. Turnover is is the metric that you're looking for. Well, it means for. different things in different parts of the different countries, too. Turnover is a positive thing in Europe, I think. Isn't that what they use for like revenue? Isn't that what, uh, Doug, you're, you're a resident uh, London expert. Don't they call, don't they call <laughs> well, top line? When I was there, I wasn't exactly following the market that much. I was just hoping to pay I my rent. I think they call it turnover. I think that's I like the, an uh, Apple turnover. Is Apple turnover a term that they yes. use? See, that's another term. Delicious. Fantastic. Yeah, that's just basically how many times, how much of the portfolio is sold and bought every year. And you want that number low. Again, from a passive standpoint, you would have low turnover. There's not a lot of changes in the S&P every year. But if you have an active approach, you may see 60 or 70% turnover, which means there's a lot of trading going on. And every time there's a trade, there's a cost. And you know that cost may be an implicit cost of actually cost of trading or taxes or something like that. The thing we still haven't addressed is fees, which is funny. Yeah, I think a lot of investors start off with fees. Oh, what am I going to pay? We've got all of these comparisons that we start off with, right? What's the time frame till you need it? Is it diversified? So I'm buying the market. What's the volatility standard? So I know that, that I have some certainty that I'm going to get there. And then active versus passive, taxes. And now we finally, I think, maybe make it to fees. Important thing, though. Still, fees are important, but I think we got fees here in the right order. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly not the thing that we want to lead with. But again, there's so many products out there and so many different tools that you can find the lower cost. And and the lower cost option isn't necessarily the best option, right? Like that doesn't mean that it's the best. I think as you go through and make the decisions like we have laid out here, it's it's a decision, but it's not the decision. Tools that we use to get these comparisons. I personally like Morningstar. I just pulled up Morningstar. I'm looking at the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. I can see the standard deviation here. I can see what the fees are. I can see what the turnover is. I can see all of these measures. I can see historically, year by year, how the performance has been. So I kind of know historically over 10, 15, 20 years if I'm likely to get to my goal, right? So I think I've got all those. Is that your favorite place to look at this stuff, OG? Um, yeah, I think if I were starting from scratch, that would be a good place to go. Yep. Yahoo Finance also has a nice site that has a lot of these uh, risk measures I know, which is a place that a lot of people use. I think those are great places to start comparing these these different investments. We're going to have this all expressed as a chart, all of these lines that OG and I talked about one by one by one how we compare investments. In the 201, Brooke Miller dives into each of these, but also is going to give you this uh, as a checklist in our newsletter, the 201, stackingbenjamins.com slash 201 gets you to the 201. But I think it's interesting, OG, that when you start with this approach, 
look at how we didn't land on individual stocks very much. It'd be, this is why it's so difficult for most investors to end with, oh, I should use an individual stock. Yeah, right. Exactly. Thanks to our community for asking us to walk through that. We're going to do this a few times a year, guys. So if you want to be in on that vote, uh, head to the basement. Our Facebook group, stackybenjamins.com slash basement is the easy way to get there. Or put uh, Stacky Benjamins Basement in your Facebook search engine and it will bring it up and come join us. And uh, the next time that Gertrude has this vote on a topic for an upcoming show, you can be in on that. But for now, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, guys, and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first. Today, I'm valuing home generators. I've been on a generator for about 12 and a half hours, actually almost precisely 12 hours at the minute we're recording this right now. Massive storm, windstorm coming through where I live right now. First snows of the year hitting and... uh, we lost power last night, so I'm hoping that my gas tank lasts through this whole thing. It's what I value. I felt like last night in Texas, it dipped below a 90 for the first time in, in forever. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it goes right to 30, right? 30, 30-something degrees today. Yeah. Not too far north of me, there was uh, 14 inches of snow yesterday. It's your loved ones in your time. That's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to stackybedjamins.com slash Haven Life. Now you get a free quote. Love what they're doing over at Haven Life because they're committed to offering a modern way to buy life insurance. Lovely customer service. You don't have to wait several weeks for a decision and all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Connor. Say hi, Connor. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Connor from upstate New York, and I have a question about the brand of Pizza Bites mom keeps in the basement freezer. But I'll save that for next time. My question today, should I be using margin to purchase VOO through SoFi? The basic details are SoFi charges 4.5% interest and compounds it into the loan, so no sale of the stock or cash needed. They require a 50% initial value to purchase the shares, but only a 30% maintenance requirement. I have regular cash savings amounts that I want to invest as it comes available in my budget each month, but the margin allows me to put that money into the market sooner. I've been using it to buy relatively small amounts on days when the market is down, and there have certainly been many recently. I have not purchased on margin when my excess equity dips below 40%, but if I faced a margin call, I could draw on cash held elsewhere. Uh, Is this too much market timing? Am I making some mathematical error? Hopefully the other listener has the same questions. Uh, I'm excited to cut the sleeves off my shirt and wear them as a bandana to fulfill my ultimate fantasy of being the financial Rambo. See ya. Nice. Nice job. Connor. <laughs> Cutting the, he's already talking about he's in upstate New York. Ripping up the t- I like it. T-shirt we're sending him. Yes. Uh, OG, let's talk about margin for people that don't know what the heck margin is, man. We went from investing 101 up to let's go to 301. Yeah. I mean, basically the brokerage company will let you borrow money on your money. So, so just like you can, uh, borrow money on your house to get a home equity loan, you can get a home equity loan for your money. It's just called a margin loan. Everybody thinks it's terrible, but, uh, it's no different than taking a HELOC out of your house and putting on a pool. I mean, it's the same it's the same deal. In fact, my argument to everybody who's like hardcore real estate investors is that 
the reason that real estate is so attractive is because of the fact that you get to use margin. You get to use leverage. If you just bought an apartment building for $100,000 in cash, like you have to buy your stock for 100000 in cash, the returns would be markedly similar. But the fact that you can put $20,000 into your apartment building and buy five of them, that's basically leverage, right? So it's the same thing. And that's a very common ratio that he was talking about. So far, 50% down and 30% moving forward. So it gives you some flexibility. The test that I would do to make sure that you don't blow this up ever is I would look on Portfolio Visualizer, which is a free website, and you can back test this strategy by putting in, you know, here's what I'm buying and you know, here's how much I put in and here's how much leverage I use. And you'll be able to see when or if it's ever blown up. And the way that it blows up is, let's say that you take $100,000 worth of a position in, you know, a stock or an ETF, and then you buy another 100000 on margin. They'll let you get down to $70,000, $60,000 of equity value before they will send you a letter. And the letter comes via email, and it sounds a lot like this. You have until 4 o'clock today to deposit $20,000. <laughs> Otherwise, we start selling stuff. And uh, they don't screw around. Like, there's no late. There's no late fee where they just go, oh, sorry. Oh, you were late by a day? Okay, no problem. It's $5. It's not no A little polite tap on the shoulder. Hey, uh, excuse no. me. No. It's like a big red letter. It's like literally red and yellow. And they send it to you. Email, it's all plastered all over your brokerage account when you log in. Margin call. Deposit funds immediately. And you can't like, I'll mail a check on Tuesday when I get paid. No. No, they mean now. They mean wire the money this minute. And if you don't, then they start selling stuff. Hmm. And so... Sounds like an episode of Sopranos. Yeah. The... uh, you know the brokerage company; they're not going to lose money. <laughs> they're not going to. They're not going to take a loss. They will sell long before they will sell you to zero before they uh, take a penny loss, and that's what you're trying to avoid. There is some study that I can't remember who wrote it or where I read it that suggests that the actual ultimate way to do this is to always be margined, always to the hilt, always all the time, knowing full well that on occasion it will blow up, and that the fact that you can redo it again and do it all over again, eventually you'll be right. <laughs> to me, that seems a little risky. I'd be on high blood pressure medication nonstop. Higher blood pressure medication, yeah. Either that or self-medicating nonstop. Yeah, it's a big risk. I don't necessarily disagree with it because I think that from a math standpoint, when you look at, you know, if you can borrow money at 4% and it's supposed to grow at 8 or 10, that's no different than what you do on your house. That's how you go buy your apartment building or your duplex or whatever the heck your you know other thing that you're investing in. But I think you have to understand exactly how this can go wrong and what it looks like when it does. And as long as you've got the extra money available to stroke a check for 50 grand, and just think about like that, as that portfolio gets bigger, that margin call number is going to get bigger exponentially as well. So you need to If you're doing this, this needs to be very much a barbell strategy. Very aggressive on one side, very conservative on the other. I like that the happiest retirees uh, don't have debt. So taking what's mathematically the best approach versus study after study that shows that people are just generally happier, OG, when they don't use debt products, which is what a margin loan is, I think might be good to weigh those as well. Yeah, it's not good for your soul. It's very stressful. <laughs> you know, you'll be refreshing that thing. And on the days when the market goes up three and a half percent, you look like a genius. And then it goes down 27% in a year in very large increments. 
throughout the year, you're like, this sucks, man. I've not only not, all of my money is gone. You don't lose 27%. You lose the 27% you had plus a hundred percent of the margin that you borrowed, you know, cause that's down a whole bunch too. So now you're down 60, 70%. It's just, and then you're stuffing 50 grand in at a time. <laughs> it's like just to keep it afloat. It's not, it's not a pleasant few months. Well, and this is why, you know, over long periods of time, the real estate uh, market, the the North American REIT index and the S&P 500 have very similar results, but down markets tend to flush out real estate investors, OG, quicker. And the reason is the use of margin, which is mortgages, right? Down markets flush out real estate investors quicker because people are using debt products. And on the upside, this is why we also have so many people that in the real estate sphere that are selling snake oil is because it makes people look like geniuses quicker. And and I think it's the same for a margin account. It's exactly the same. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for that question, Connor. If uh, you've, by the way, take a picture of that uh, with the sleeves torn off and uh, put that in our Facebook group. I'd love to see uh redneck Connor hanging out there uh, showing off his, <laughs> showing off his Dukes of Hazard version of uh, Stacking Benjamin swag. Stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail. If you've got a question for OG and I, uh, dive in because we're very happy to answer your question here. And Doug can answer it too, uh, from time to time, I'm sure. No, Doug's just looking at me. You add value in so many other ways. The untold story today was absolutely phenomenal. So glad we got to that. Just brings a tear to my eye as I hear all the untold story around uh, the legend of Doug. We've got fantastic stuff happening here in mom's basement coming up to get all of that. Of course, the 201 stackingbenjamins.com slash 201 is the place to always know what's going on. 5 p.m. We'll also have our Instagram live today. So if you're here listening to the show on Wednesday, we have an Instagram live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. If you're not here for either of those, though, you're here and you're listening to the show because you want to panic less about the market. Hopefully today's discussion of the methodology OG and I use to evaluate investments and compare them against each other was helpful, but it can go even deeper than that, I know. And you just need better people in your corner. If you're concerned about the market and the chatter around recession, OG and his team put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market. This guide will help you play more and panic less no matter what the market does. So head over to stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. That's stackybenjamins.com slash guide, and you'll get this helpful free guide from OG. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned today, man? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from the guys. Stick with broad-based investments that meet your time horizon, and you're most likely to meet your goal. Second, follow the example that Rachel Aguirre from BlackRock gave us. If you're looking for low-cost, transparent, and tax-efficient ways to meet your goals, ETFs are a good option. By following our methodology today, you're much more likely to reach your goal and pick the right investment. The big lesson. Okay, maybe a change in programming here. I mean, after hearing Doug, the untold story. Maybe it's better if my story remains untold. In fact, maybe Doug, a mystery best left unsolved, would have been a better theme. Next time, people. Next time. Thanks to Rachel Aguirre from BlackRock for joining us. You'll find out more about the BlackRock iShares family of exchange-traded funds at iShares.com. 
Thanks to Elle Martinez for helping us out today with our trivia. You can listen to Elle on her amazing podcast, Simplify and Enjoy, wherever you listen to finer podcasts. And thanks to you for voting for today's topic. Want to help us choose a future episode? We made a home for like-minded individuals to chat about money called The Basement Facebook Group. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement to join us. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Speaking of fake money, out of nowhere, uh, last week, I got $10,000. Me too. Okay. It's going around. Yeah. I, th- I wondered if one of you guys did it. I got from Amazon, I got this little pack of $10,000. Fake money. Clearly I fake. I did. But I sent it to you. To both of us? I sent it to you. Yes. Why? Yes. Because we're going to be making some videos with it. Yes. You're going to need it. <laughs> A little heads up. I almost threw it out. Did you really? I'm pretty sure my kids have already destroyed half of it. Oh, they're like, oh, cool. Well, grab the rest of it because it's for you and we're making videos with it. Yes. Why don't you just have me run down to the bank and get a stack of real hundred (laughs) dollar bills? God, they look like real bills, though. They totally they're it's pretty close. I'm not not I'm not convinced that my kids won't try to pass them off at school. I'll be honest. (laughs) I get a visit from the Secret Service.
the makers of the hit podcast, Stacking Benjamins, comes a product so new, so hot, so salacious that you'll immediately throw down your wallet and ask, how hot is it? For years, investors like Earl and Peoria have been foaming at the mouth over five simpleton letters, V-T-S-A-X. For you heathens... You have not yet been exposed to the light and the goodness of these five letters. That's the Vanguard Total Market Index Fund. But here at Stacking Benjamins Industries, we ask ourselves, is there a better way? Can we ourselves create something with more torrid outcomes? And now, after sweat-filled minutes of groundbreaking work, the scientists at Stacking Benjamin have emerged and are pleased to unveil... The Vantage Dominant Super Expensive Index. That's right. We call it VDSEX. Fill that hole in your portfolio in a hurry with some VDSEX. You'll start off with some steamy returns, so good that it feels too good to be true as you'll be up 69 or more percent, your results may vary, and you'll find what's more, this thing grows like a rash. That's right, VDSEX. Results that are truly infectious. Soon you'll have all of your loved ones joining in in the sweaty action-packed fun and misery that only a ride up the stock market can bring. Get yourself a little something-something VDSEX. A better way to say I love you to your money. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.